0: Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power, forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen.
1: Why? Study the book of Revelation as we are about to do between now and December Andy Leach is a good person to ask that question to but when I was um, in Oxford 25 years ago scratching around for something to write a thesis on uh, my supervisor said to me you could always do something on the book of Revelation he said some people still think it's part of the New Testament and clearly it is all Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And yet, nevertheless, Revelation tends to be a closed book. It's not a book that people rush to read in the New Testament. Uh, my mother's just been reading it. She, says, I've, I've stopped. She said, "I'm going to fast forward to the end. I really can't can't handle it anymore because it's pretty depressing stuff." When you read the book of Revelation, you encounter a series of imaginative and disturbing visions of the world which purport to reveal what the immediate future holds. Its portrayal of the future is a bit disorientating at times, and it it can be frightening as well. What's it all about? How do you begin to make sense of it? Reading Revelation has been compared to the attempt to assemble a flat-pack piece of furniture bought at a DIY store. And when you open the packaging, you find that there aren't any instructions, there's not even a diagram to show you how it all ought to fit together. So everybody has a go at putting the pieces together, and everybody ends up with a different looking item of furniture. And every time you try and build it, there are always some bits left over at the end that don't quite seem to fit anywhere. And that's a bit like Revelation. People try and build it this way, that way, but those bits somehow don't quite seem to fit. It's a text which over the past 2,000 years has been interpreted in a bewilderingly large number of different ways. So the more certain someone seems to be when they tell you, this is what Revelation means because I understand it, perhaps the less inclined you should be to believe them or take them at their word. Simon Woodman, who's minister at uh, Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church in London, and he's coming to preach on Revelation later this year, he's written a book called The Book of the book of Revelation, and written an article recently in Mission Catalyst published by the BMS on Revelation. His article is full of phrases like, it's likely, that scholar suggests, for some people it makes more sense, that, it's a legitimate question to ask. He is very cautious about what he says, and that is the right way to approach Revelation. We call it Revelation, I don't know why so many people call it Revelations, but we call it Revelation because That title comes from the opening words, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation is something which is revealed, something which is made visible, something which illuminates our minds in a flash of understanding or inspiration. And as the book opens with the vision of Jesus, which Jack is preaching on tonight, we might at first suppose that it's a a revelation about Jesus. But that's not really how it works, because John continues, The Revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So the revelation isn't a book about Jesus, it's rather a revelation of what is going to happen, that God has given to Jesus, and Jesus makes the content of that revelation known by sending his angel to communicate it to John, and John testifies to everything that he saw by writing it all down, and sending it in a circular letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and we read what he wrote. John describes it as a prophecy, announces a blessing on everyone who reads it, and on everyone who hears what is read and takes it to heart. Because as John says, the time is near. And we're looking to receive that blessing in the coming months. But as we look at Revelation, we stand at the end of a long line of communication from God to Jesus, from Jesus to an angel, from an angel to John, from John to the seven churches major, and we read what they read when he wrote to them. Most English translations follow William Tyndale, who in 1526 started the book with the words, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Wycliffe, writing more than a century earlier, opted for the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. I don't know why Tyndale went for Revelation rather than Apocalypse, but I'm quite glad he did, because Revelation actually sums up what the book is about better than apocalypse as far as we're concerned, because it is about a vision, it is about a revelation, it is about an insight into what is going on in heaven. To our minds, the word apocalypse carries end-of-the-world scenarios, disaster, apocalyptic scenes. If you Google the image apocalypse when you get home, you will find that all the images are of destroyed cities, the devastation of civilization after the final conflagration, at the end of the world. In our minds, apocalyptic is inextricably associated with some kind of cosmic catastrophe that heralds the end of civilization as we know it. So when Canongate published Revelation as a standalone booklet with a short introduction by Will Self, the image on the front cover was, appropriately enough, that of a nuclear explosion. Apocalyptic, that's what we think of. But in fact, the word apocalypse literally means an unveiling. And when John started his book with the words, the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, he used that term not because the book portrayed the end of the world, but because his writing takes the form of a series of heavenly visions, an unveiling and uncovering of what is really going on. He wants to see that above and beyond everything that happens down here, God is still in charge. Now he was tapping into a recognised visionary style of writing in his day. And in the 19th century the term apocalyptic came to be applied to this type of ancient literature. And it's been described as a narrative composed in circumstances of political, religious or social unrest. In the course of which an angelic being discloses heavenly mysteries otherwise hidden to a human seer. Either indirectly by interpreting a dream or a vision, or directly, in which case the seer may believe that he's been transported to heaven in order to receive a special revelation. So it's about revealing God rather than describing the end of the world, though it does do this. But revelation is a discourse of heavenly mysteries which are expressed in vivid, highly visual and overtly <coughs> symbolic language. It is not a book ...to be taken literally. To understand it, we need to interpret it. And unfortunately for us, there are loads of ways in which it can be interpreted. Right from the word go, you can see how Christians differed... ...in their approach to reading Revelation. In the West, the book was understood in practical ways... It was written to encourage and strengthen hard-pressed Christian believers as they clung to their faith in the face of persecution, waiting for Jesus to come and sweep away the Roman Empire and replace it with his kingdom. It was a fundamentally practical book. In the East, they were more esoteric. They read it in spiritual ways, finding hidden allegorical meanings in the text. So Revelation talks about the dragon having seven heads... These represent the seven deadly sins. The scroll sealed with seven seals represents the scriptures which only Christ can unlock and so on. So it becomes a a coded book and you have to understand what it's going on about in an allegorical way to make sense of its message. In the 4th century, Christianity emerged from the fires of persecution and it became the official religion of the Roman Empire Then it became read as a a kind of timeless portrayal of the struggle between good and evil in the church or in the lives of individuals. Then as time went by, particularly after the first millennium passed, there were those who claimed that the book of Revelation traced the course of human history. Read it sequentially. At what point in Revelation do we find ourselves now? That was the question that people asked. This way of reading Revelation has been going on for centuries. 800 years ago, when the Crusaders were defeated by the Muslim warrior Saladin, people thought, ah, this is an event which has been spoken of in Revelation. So someone called of Fiore claimed that the seven heads of the dragon in Revelation 13 each represented someone who persecuted the Christian church. Saladin, he said, is number six. We are nearly at the end. Number seven is will be the Antichrist, the last and final enemy of God's people. Get ready, because it's going to happen soon, he said. And it wasn't long after that that people started to identify the Antichrist with the Pope, a line of interpretation that has been immensely popular through the centuries. So when Luther published his Bible, the woodcut pictures in the book of Revelation at the end have the beast, a picture of the beast, with the papal tiara on its head. Just leave the readers in no doubt about the identification that Luther wanted to make. And in the influential Schofield Reference Bible, much read and treasured by people at the start of the last century, um, that is identified, it identifies the city of Babylon in Revelation with what it calls apostate Christendom headed up under the papacy, very clearly <coughs> directing its readers to read Revelation in an anti-Catholic way. Let me reassure you I also see that as a fallacious and wrong way of reading the book. But it stays popular. When the European Economic Union was founded by the Treaty of Rome, it was anti-Catholic prejudice which associated the Treaty of Rome with the Pope and on this business, on this basis initiated a trend of associating the European Union with the Antichrist. And we saw that very strongly portrayed in the run-up to the referendum a few weeks ago. I was amazed talking to fellow Christian leaders about those who said, well, actually, you know, the the, the statue in front of the European Parliament, uh, which is actually of Europa and the bull, well, that's really the beast from Revelation 13, isn't it? And that kind of spurious argument was used with an astonishing degree of success to support the campaign to leave the European Union. People find all sorts of stuff in this book. And modern figures associated with the Antichrist are Osama bin Laden, Hillary Clinton, Bill Gates even Britney Spears, which is quite bizarre. (laughs) The danger of this kind of approach is that you can read into Revelation pretty much anything you want to. And none of these claims or identifications would have made the remotest sense to any of the book's original readers. But presumably, and we need to bear this in mind, it was John's intention that those for whom he wrote the book would be able to understand it and make sense of it. He didn't want people in the seven churches to read, and think, well, "This is load of rubbish. I can't understand this." And for people centuries down the line to be, "Ah, oh, I see what it means now." John wrote it, expecting his readers to understand it, and we need to decode what he was saying to them in a way that they could understand and perceive the relevance of. So, while the meaning of the book can't be restricted to what we suppose the author might have meant if we want to interpret it responsibly, we need to make a serious attempt to understand the original context in which it was written and the people for whom it was written and to interpret the book in ways that correspond to that scenario. In other words, we need to try and understand it as a text that has something relevant to say to Christians living in the first century in the region that we now know as Western Turkey. There are actually a group of people called Preterists who said that because John says to his readers, the prophecy is all about things that will happen soon, it only pertains to events that took place in the first century. And we would be wrong, as readers living a century later, to look for any future dimension in the book. I wouldn't go that far. But I would say that when I read Revelation, I read it in accordance with what has been called the contemporary historical approach. That means I try to understand it in its own first century historical setting and work on the basis that any keys for interpreting the text must have been available to John's original readers. Because John was writing to readers of his own day about events that were relevant both to him and to them. And we need to bear that in mind when we try and understand it 2,000 years later. Think about it. Think about Revelation as if it is a window in a room. Okay? You are in a room, it is pitch black outside and the lights are on. You look at the window and you can't see anything through it. All you can see is a reflection of yourself and your own situation. If you read Revelation ignoring the historical context in which it's written, that's what you're doing, you are just seeing reflected in it your own present situation and it can't cast any light really on what is going on. because it's a frightening book often we see reflected in it our own prejudices and our own fears and our own anxieties and we struggle with it from that point of view if the light source is the other side of the window we can see through the glass to what is beyond and we could read Revelation like that it's not just reflecting what I think or what I see here and now I can see actually what John was on about in this original context to his first readers and I can see through the book and understand it on that basis But the light coming through the window actually enables me to look around the room that I'm in and say, oh, okay, I can see this clearly now. And that's how Revelation is supposed to be read. The light from the past illuminating it so that we can understand it correctly in the present and make sense of what it said then and enable it to to make sense of where we are today. So I don't know what Jack's going to do, but that's how I'm going to interpret it in the sermons that I'm preaching. You do what you feel led to, Jack, that's fine. One of the strengths of having different ministers is you do approach things from different perspectives and you can pick and choose because neither of us is infallible. So, one of the things that John is doing is he's giving his readers a fresh perspective on the chaotic and traumatic events that were enveloping them. What he does in effect is he gives them a periscope and says, look, You can look up above all the chaos and confusion and darkness and trouble surrounding you. And you can look up and see above and beyond it all, Jesus is Lord. God is sovereign. And whatever happens down here is happening in accordance with his divine will and purpose. God hasn't lost a plot. God is still directing events towards their appointed conclusion. Everything will work out in the end in accordance with his divine purpose. That's why apocalypses were always written in periods of political, religious, or social unrest. They were always intended to give a heavenly perspective on earthly events and to see that above and beyond the chaos, God is still the boss. Come and see the shining hope that Christ's apostle saw. On the earth, confusion, but in heaven, an open door. Where the living creatures praise the Lamb forevermore. God has the victory forever. That chorus sums up the book of Revelation admirably. In an apocalypse, the troubles that afflict God's people are portrayed as birth pangs that usher in the end. The good news is that God has set a time limit on the era of wickedness. And in the final confrontation between good and evil, the powers of evil will ultimately be destroyed. That is a hope and a reality that we need to hang on to in today's troubled world. God is in effect saying to persecuted Christians, hang on in there, you are on the winning side. Despite appearances, it will come right in the end. God is still in charge. Revelation invites us to take a divine perspective on the world. John was writing to a tiny minority of powerless people who were confronted with the apparently irresistible might of the Roman Empire and the overwhelming pressure of pagan society. In the face of persecution, John advances the bold thesis that those who are faithful to the testimony of Jesus to the point of death are not helpless victims. Ultimately, they are the conquerors, and at the return of Christ, their triumph will be apparent. When approaching the book of Revelation, we need to understand it first and foremost as a message of encouragement to a church facing suffering and persecution in the first century Mediterranean world. And it's a message that brings hope to a church facing suffering and persecution and marginalisation in the 21st century world. Today we face scenarios unimagined to and unimaginable by John and the original readers of this text. But as we face these scenarios, we can draw on the worldview, the symbolic universe, the construction of reality that John offers his readers to cope with their situation. Look up! Look up and see revealed, unveiled, the sovereignty of God. And let that revelation give you the resources you need to trust in, to live your life for him, maybe even to lay down your life for him. For the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Revelation is a strange and difficult and sometimes bewildering book and we live in a world which is sometimes bewildering with the troubles that confront us. We are fearful. Sometimes we can't see how good will prevail. Sometimes, as members of your church, we feel powerless and vulnerable and marginalised and afraid. Lord, this book doesn't shrink from portraying the stark realities of a world that does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And we see that kind of world reflected in our own society and in the world today. As we journey through this book together, give us understanding. Strengthen our faith. Enable us to see that you are Lord and to put our trust in you and to live our lives wholeheartedly for you. The one who is and who was. And who is to come. Amen.